Infirmary Media. People engage in stuff for jeweling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Who culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet in sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Broadcasting from the Infirmary Media Studios, it's the adult only retro game show where the 80s and 90s battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for in the week experience. First off, he took a devastating loss last week, but just like Dennis Rodman, he's looking to rebound. It's Man Crush. What is up? I have February 22nd through the 28th, 1998, and we are ready to rip some shit up. We. Me, myself, and I. I don't know where the fuck we came from, but that's what I got. <laughs> Off to you, Mark. And his opponent is not only named after a 1980s character from Days of Our Lives, he looks like one. Please welcome Bo Beecraft. Yes, hello, friends. Good to be back. Uh, this time I have also February 22nd through the 28th, but I have 1987. And as always here on the show, we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week, we brought back the 90s guru of grooves from the One Headlight 90s podcast. Say hello to Judge Drew Zachman. Hey guys, how are you? I'm happy to be here judging, which means I cannot actually lose this week. So that makes me very happy. Valid. (laughs) New rule, judges can lose this week. Damn it to hell. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. It's too hot to handle and too cold to hold. It's more... Dueling Decades. All right, let's toss it right over to Judge Drew Zachman for the official toss-off. I will uh, toss it off, I suppose. Uh, give me a second. I have to recharge a bit. But um, So this uh, toss-off here, I have something very special. Uh, this is a great – I have a CD that we're going to use for our toss-off. I lost my virginity to this actually twice, so I'm very. This is very fond for me. Giving and receiving. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> Anal. <laughs> it's it's whatever you want it to be, gentlemen. Once on the dog, once in the butt. <laughs> but this is uh, probably one of the the, the best supergroups that nobody really talks about. I mean, you had Kenny G, the guy from Living Color. You have Vanilla Ice with a mustache and George Michael. Uh, I am talking about my favorite supergroup, Color Me Bad. Mm. <laughs> yes. Is that what you said while you were losing your virginity as well? Um, no, I said um, I said I'm doing it all for love. Uh, I also said I want to sex you up, and I also said uh, I adore Mia more because that's what these guys do apparently. So we have heads. Heads will be the front of the CD. Tails 
will be the back, which is, as you can see, the lovely track listing. It's oh. a big font. It's it's uh it's legible. It's easier to read, baby. <laughs> Who's calling this? Uh, Bo, you got it. Well, I think there's uh, there's no question about it. If you're talking Kenny G, you're talking tails every time. Nobody <laughs> nobody pulled more than him. <laughs> Excuse right. me, polls. It was that that tight ass perm. So you're going Kenny, you're going Kenny G's tail. It is in fact tails. Yes. All right, Bo B Craft, you have control of the board. What category would you like to select first? I think I am gonna go. Uh, oh goodness, let's go. Uh, let's go by way of. <laughs> Boy, just pure shit going on here. Uh, let's go with. Uh, I love when it's like that for the first pick. <laughs> let's go television, I guess. For Christ's sake. Oh jeez. Okay. Uh, on February twenty fifth, nineteen eighty seven, Frank better known as Old Brown Eyes, Sinatra, uh, would make his final credited television appearance opposite the man who would take his place as the penultimate cultural sex icon. I'm talking, of course, about Tom Selleck during a guest appearance on Magnum P.I. Sinatra played a retired policeman who teams up with Tom Selleck to find his granddaughter's murderer. Obviously, we knew this would eventually spawn a big screen adaptation reboot that was released not long ago starring uh, Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill in those roles. Uh, but there we go. February 25th, 1987, the last credited television appearance from Frank Sinatra on Magnum P.I. Was that the last season of Magnum? I couldn't tell you. I think it, it's it's burning out. I, I would think it's got to be. Especially with Sinatra on there. Wasn't Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum? Wasn't that 21 Jump Street? Yeah, I'm just being a, yeah. you know, just being an ass clown. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of really terrible I was like, jokes. wait a minute. In this uh, this particular round or this uh, particular episode, I'm already fucking losing at judging. Damn it! Yeah, think about think about Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill starring in in a just not a, not a rebooted series, a rebooted episode of Magnum PI. I'd watch it. Yeah. I love Twenty One Jump That's Street. That's what people need to start doing. They need to reboot episodes, not whole series, not whole movies, just episodes. Reboot the A Team with Boy George on it, and have Boy George now <laughs> with a new cast. I'd be down for that. All right. What's your second pick? The second one, even better. I'm uh, just going to continue blazing down this incredible path of picks. <laughs> Following a nine-year run on the small screen via ABC, The Love Boat comes to an end on February 27th, 1987, one day before my lovely wife's birthday. Uh, executive produced by television legend Aaron Spelling. The show was a massive success early on, uh, though ratings continue to uh, sink, for lack of a better term. Until the show's cancellation, uh, it obviously produced a number of sequels, spinoffs, and crossovers, including made-for-TV specials, and uh, I'm, I'm willing to bet awfully produced porn parody floating around the internet somewhere. Uh, but there we go. The end of The Love Boat, February 27th, 1987. The Love Boat is a really fine place where we can get together. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> love Boat, baby. Yeah, I remember the Love Boat. It had the tin roof rusted. <laughs> yeah. Love Boat, baby. For the longest time, I had no idea what the fuck they said. <laughs> All right, Man Crush. Over to you for the television round. All right. Let me drop some fucking amazing television from 1998. Captain uh, Scooping. With- <laughs> February 28th, 1998. Uh, I hardly get to pick any TV or movies from Disney, but in this case, I thought it was interesting, and frankly, 
I had nothing else to pick. Uh, it's the week experience. That's how it goes. Uh, and for this week experience, let's talk about some teenage summer camp. Unfortunately, I am not talking about Friday the 13th. I'm talking about teenage summer camp reality television. Uh, the show itself, it, it must have been done in the summer of 97, but this was Disney's version of the real world for tweens. So hold on to your hats. We're about to watch the campers at Camp Wazenyada in Maine. Hopefully uh, Drew knows this being a 90s kid. You know, you get to watch these tweens leaving home for the first time. So get ready for some drama. You got young love, being homesick, being the littlest kid at camp overcoming your fears of swimming, and of course, hating all your bunkmates in the Disney reality series, Bug Juice. It doesn't come in a jar. (laughs) One of the reasons I picked this, like aside from real world and road rules, this was actually the next like reality show in that vein, you know, because it predates Anna Nicole and the Osbournes coming out in 98. The popular Disney reality show ran for three seasons it ended in 2001, uh, and the best thing that they did for the show is they found the camp first, and they found kids who were already signed up to go to this camp instead of putting an ad out like, who wants to go to camp and be on a Disney show this summer? So all these kids were signed up. They'd been to the camp previously, and then once they got there, they got talking to them and all that shit. So it's pretty authentic, unlike a lot of reality shows. Like back when we had Poop Culture, we had Judd on from uh, Big Brother. And he told us all the uh, behind-the-scenes shit. I don't think that happened here. Uh, but it was so popular, in fact, that uh, on their 20th anniversary, they brought this back in 2018 for another run at Camp Wazendiata. I want, I hope I'm saying that right. I don't even know. But it's in Maine, and the name of this show, Bug Juice, February 28th, 1998. What a just horrible but also earworm theme song that was. Oh, you actually watch the show? Yeah. Bug juice, man, I told you, it doesn't come in a jar. Bug juice comes from who you are. (laughs) Freedom, reaching out on your own. Well, here's another one that I'm sure that uh, you watch, because February 23rd, 1998, I feel like this is the definition of 90s baby. I was a 90s kid, but this show is a little too young for me. Even though it began in 1990 and it lasted for seven seasons and 81 episodes on Fox, it wasn't my bag, so... I'm sure that somebody like Bo being in his age group. How old are you now, Bo? 31. I'll be uh, 32 this fall. You definitely watch this. Uh, The show centered around little Bobby Generic. Oh, yes. By the Hollywood great (laughs) Howie Mandel. Yeah. And uh, Howie actually said he haphazardly created the voice of Bobby Generic after choking on a cake. So that's (laughs) fucking talent right there. It's generic. (laughs) Whatever. He's generic. Uh, It was a story about a boy with a crazy imagination, and he spends most of his time in his imaginary home in Bobbyland, where apparently he's a bad motherfucker, but in real life, he's just a little shithead. I never watched this. I don't know. Bo seems to know it and like it. Uh, It did have a following, and it also had a game on the Super Nintendo. So what can you say? And how can you not like a show that had Pauly Shore voicing one of the characters? Pauly, you know, like, you think about Pauly Shore. Pauly is... As 90s as apple pie is American. You know, it is what it is. But anyhow, my second pick, Bobby's World. It comes to an end on February 23rd, 
1998. That was the first time I cut myself to feel again. <laughs> That's when you started wearing a rubber band on your wrist. It was a slap band, you jackass. <laughs> All right, let's see what Judge Drew Zachman has to say about the television round. Yeah, those are some um, some good picks in there. So, uh, first of all, I think how he said it was cake, it probably was something else that he was choking on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that show, though. That one, that one I actually watched, uh, not by 1998, but probably like when it first came out. So, early 90s, I probably watched it then. But the uh, the bug juice, I don't remember that. But I do, uh, I do remember there was a, this one summer camp I used to go to, and I used to love going to it. So I have, I have fond memories of summer camp. But I don't know about a Disney summer camp. So good picks over there, Man Crush. Now, as for you, Mr. B-Craft, uh, Magnum P.I., probably one of the best mustaches uh, this side of Don Mattingly. So <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. That show was fantastic. And then Love Boat ending. Do you know, uh, do you know how many seasons Love Boat was on for, Bo? I honestly can't remember. I want to say it was nine, but that's it was, probably it was a while. Wrong. Yeah, it had a pretty good run. Yeah, it did. Actually, I ha- I had Love Boat on a pick a while back, so I'm surprised that it came up again. But I think I had it on the ending one too, and it just like Bo said, it kind of fizzled. Like I think uh, the peak was like season three. She really waned. Yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> and then it just kind of like tanked and tanked and tanked it was the slowest boat sinking in history <laughs> yeah for real yeah so the, this is uh this is actually a tough one here so uh, i love magnum pi phenomenal mustache love boat ending uh I, I probably watched like a handful of episodes when i was a kid but uh what really makes me appreciate love boat was the fact that it was referenced in ace ventura so i think that's some bonus points right there as for Bobby's World, like I said, I watched that when I was a kid a little bit. Bug Juice, not so much. I also, reality TV. If if you started, I don't think it, I think probably uh, Real World is probably credit them for that shit. But uh, I don't know, Bo, I think I might have to give you this one, buddy, on, on, the, on the strength of Magnum P.I. I got to disagree with you, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to give it to Bo on an episode of Magnum P.I. Oh, Love Boat ending too. I think that's uh, I think that's a big one. No mention of Frank Sinatra at all, Drew. Come on, that was his selling point. You're not even mentioning it. Who doesn't love old brown eyes? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's blue eyes, Bo. No, I, I purposely put brown eyes in there. <laughs> nobody, nobody overshadows Tom Selleck's mustache. I don't care who you are. All right, Bo Beecraft, you jump out to an early lead. Wow. What category would you like to go <laughs> with next? I, I think that. I'm just going to hang it up here, gentlemen. This is uh, <laughs> probably my best performance to date on the program. Ah, uh, where do I want to go next here? Let's go with uh, let's go with news. Let's see, February 22nd, 1987, uh, marking the death of pop culture icon and leading figure in the visual art movement known as pop art. I'm talking, of course, about Bud Dwyer. Uh, no, sorry, that was a month prior. Uh, talking about Andy Warhol, who died of uh, cardiac arrhythmia at the age of 58. Really thought this dude died at a much older age, but he uh, obviously had a very significant cultural impact. And I'm sure your local hoity-toity mother's club probably has a lot of Andy Warhol-inspired purchases and whatnot. Uh, but in 2002, this is the the kind of clout that, that Warhol had. The U.S. Postal Service issued an 18-cent stamp commemorating Warhol. Uh, that's actually... Uh, Pretty incredible deal when you consider that now stamps are 55 cents, but uh, 
You can get postage on demand thanks to stamps.com. That's right, stamps.com. <laughs> Click print and mail. It's 2020. Why bother waiting in line at the post office? Right now, you can try stamps.com for four weeks to see if it's for you. They're so confident you'll like it. They'll also throw in $5 worth of free postage for you to use during that four-week trial period. Just head to stamps.com and click the Get Started button to sign up and get started now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. we're not getting paid for this. <laughs> anyway, Andy Warhol, rest in peace, February 22nd, 1987. Fucking free plugs. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think you are? I'm a spokesman for stamps.com. Oh, he mailed this Who one mail shit? <laughs> You got bills? I got bills? Seriously, when was the last time you put something in the mailbox? Uh, Probably a week ago. Really? I, sometimes I still send like physical bills for, I want to say bails, uh, physical bills <laughs> for like, bail. <laughs> like voiceover work. Like some people aren't, uh, some people in the Midwest are still a little bit antiquated. They're like, can you send me an invoice? Yeah, sure. So I, I, mail? I mail stuff probably more often than. Can you fax that to me? (laughs) Uh, If you can't get a hold of me, just leave a message on my beeper. (laughs) So anyway, yes, Andy Warhol. He's dead. Uh, Also, February 24th, 1987, my next news piece from this uh, particular particular era. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, famous actor, uh, became the first NBA player to ever reach 36,000 career points, scoring four points in the final two minutes and route to a 110-100 Lakers victory over the Bulls in Chicago, uh, February 24th, 1987. 36,000 career points. That's a, I mean, that's almost as much as I've done in my career. <laughs> a lot. Not bad. That's a lot of fucking points. Not bad at all. Was he more of a compiler? No, pilot. <laughs> he was a pilot. Roger Murdoch. My dad said you hang around the basket too much. You don't play enough defense. You drag him up and down the court. <laughs> All right, man crush. It's over to you for the news round. All right. I don't have any deaths, so that's good. But I do have. Actually, I think this is a great story. Uh, February 25th, 1998. And this is a real sign of the times. Because at the time, nobody really knew what the law was, you know? So this this is the... I'm just going to read you the story. Judge rules Virginia professionals may surf porn on network. Hell yeah. Uh, he strikes down the law against state workers accessing explicit content at work. Uh, I won't go through this whole thing. Uh, but look, it's 1998. People have slow internet at home, but you have fast internet at work. <laughs> you want to see porn... Guess where they're looking for porn? Netscape Navigator. That's where. Exactly. They're using some Netscape. They're logging into their AOL, whatever the fuck they're doing, their messenger, and they're doing it on their work computers. (laughs) So I thought this was kind of crazy because certainly by now they've probably overturned this or added something in, I don't even know, in human resources that you can't <laughs> look at porn at work. How many desperate husbands were like, honey, we get any more of them AOL CDs in the mail? <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was a crazy fucking story that this actually flew. Search keyword browsers. Well, it was 1998, man. You could fit a lot of JPEGs on a floppy disk, <laughs> you know? And if you had to do it at work, you could do it all in like five minutes, where at home it would take you, like you said, you didn't have high-speed internet, so it would take you like three hours to download all those well, JPEGs. Ni- dude, this is 1998, man. Zip disk, bro. Oh, yeah. You could pop a zip disk in there, get like 100 megs of shit. <laughs> it's probably quicker than burning a CD at work. 
But I figured while I was on porn, I might as well stay there because it, it was all over the news for way like stories all over the place. So uh, February 22nd, 1998, here's a story that says web porn could rid of porn shops. And uh, the entire story is just going on and on about how porn stores are bad for the community and blah, 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 blah. But this is the best part. And now in 2020, we could say that it's true. It says porn could be the new internet cash cow. Porn has become a big business. Some say the biggest business on the web. The Euroscan Index, a site that wants to become the Yahoo of adult sites, reportedly has more than 30,000 sites indexed with a backlog of thousands more. There's even an adult chamber of commerce, which represents the business interests of the purveyors of porn. The chamber promotes internet filtering software as a way to sheen of respectability to internet smut merchants. That's what it says in the story. I can't make this shit up. Uh, the porn business has been leading the way in electronic commerce, and some internet analysts say porn is the top business on the internet, although no one has any real numbers to support that statement. Uh, I would say that that's true even today. I mean, do we find it ironic that this is all mandated and regulated by a chamber of commerce, an, a, an adult chamber of commerce, which would acronym to a cock? <laughs> it's a hard job to get how do you get like yeah like how like what are like what are the prerequisites to, to like get hired there are you horny <laughs> you like the internet you're hired they show you a picture and they say does this offend you and if you say no you got the job <laughs> i love how they had to put this in this story uh these are the ways that it says that it can uh get stores to close because people would be uh, getting their porn online. So they had to bullet these points. Consumers enjoy considerable privacy on computer networks and can easily avoid the potential embarrassment of walking into an adult store to acquire said pornography. That's the first one. No shit. Second one, consumers have the ability to download only the images they find arousing. And they put that they find dot, dot, dot arousing. Uh, <laughs> Previously, a consumer had to purchase an entire magazine or video in order to gain access to a few desired depictions. Let me ask you a question. When you were looking at a porn magazine growing up, did you give a fuck what was in that magazine? As long as it wasn't somebody shitting on somebody else, did it really matter? Yeah, how many guys were like, oh, this is just despicable. I'm, I'm <laughs> disgusted with myself. There's only two pages in this entire magazine. I would fucking beat my crank. Well, what I, what, I can't return it. Did you see last month's issue of Swank? Way too many ads. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's more. Uh, fear of AIDS and other sexually transmitted diseases has helped pornographers to successfully market modern sex, dot, 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 as safe, dot, 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 alternatives, dangers to real sex. What does that have to do with internet porn? Does that mean like, like cyber sex? Well, perhaps. Uh you were looking. Yeah, it's good. That's so. That's it's like, like demolition uh, man. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Uh, and the last one they have: new and highly advanced computer technologies are quickly being absorbed into the mainstream, permitting an ever-expanding audience to gain access to digitized pornography. Oh, have they ever? And unfortunately, <laughs> that's how we got hentai <laughs> and everything else. 
Can you imagine? Like, I couldn't even tell you. Well, I could if I read it down. But if you go to like Pornhub or something and you look at the categories on the I would guess they'd be on the left hand side because that's where most places put their categories. Right. Am I right? In this aspect? Uh, my, I think my friend said that's where they are. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I've heard. But if you read through all those categories, I'm pretty sure it never ends. I, like, even if you scroll down to the bottom, I think there's like a click for more. Yeah, and then by the time you get to the end of that, they've actually started adding new categories. Yeah. <laughs> so this uh, this article is correct. Bravo. They were looking ahead at 2020, but there it is. My two stories. You can look at porn at work if you're in Virginia and you work for the government, apparently. I don't know if you still can. You might want to look that up first. And uh, web porn could rid of porn shops and that the... Uh, Porn is an internet cash cow. Ah, good old government porn. It's better if it's at work. All right, Judge Drew Zachman, let's hear your ruling for the news round. Yeah, this one's tricky. I mean, who doesn't like porn, right? Uh, anybody else? No? Oh, I mean, uh, I'm just asking in general. But um, so funny story. So, so that porn at work that was strictly in Virginia, right? For government jobs, Go- yeah, in Virginia. So I, uh, I actually, interestingly enough, I actually worked at this one company in Heightstown, New Jersey. We were actually upgrading people's computers for the Y2K. So it was kind of like office space. And we actually knew a guy who did get fired for looking at porn at work. He actually worked like the later shifts. I think he worked like a 12 to eight shift. So like come like seven o'clock at night, like there was like nobody there. Um, I guess he felt he was able to, uh, maybe take care of a couple extra things before he went home. <laughs> so he got canned. So apparently you can't look at that at certain companies in Heistown, New Jersey. So as for the other one, yeah, I mean, say what you will about porn. I mean, it is like a massive business. I mean, they were calling this stuff back in 98, and I think they are spot on. I also love the phrase uh, purveyor of porn. I feel like that's a fantastic <laughs> name for something I don't know what yet, but I'll try, the to, old pop. I'll try to use that throughout my uh, my life from here on out. Uh, so good picks there, man crush. As for you, Mr. B Crafts, Andy Warhol. He was what, fifty-eight, you said, right? Yes, uh exceptionally young. I thought he was, you know, like much older. Dead. Fifty-eight though. Fifty eight is dead yeah. as shit. Yeah, I mean he was definitely uh I wanna say Take inspirational. He was uh he was into many things. Yeah. Now just the ground. Correct. <laughs> um and then Kareem Abdul Jabbar. 36 first first player ever to get 36,000 points. First actor as well. First actor to also get 36,000 yeah. points. Uh he actually still has them the the record. He has the most points all time for any NBA player. I think overall what, he's at like 38,000. What what did uh Jordan finish at? Uh he was like so I think it was Kareem, it was I think Malone was second. Uh LeBron's up there. LeBron's third, I think. And then it was Kobe and then it was Jordan. But Ooh, Jordan's that low, huh? Yeah, but I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did play for a long time. I think he played longer than Jordan. Yeah, like uh, 42 years, I think he played. It's, it seemed like it. <laughs> uh, he also led the league in uh, goggles, so I think there's extra bonus points for that. Oh, boy. You went all in on porn there, didn't you, man crush? I did. I figured if I was doing one, I might as well do both. Yeah, you might as well. It's 98. It's a new. It's the Wild West. I feel like I'm going to go porn here. <laughs> I mean, you can't argue that. But I mean, think about, I, I'm going based on the fact that it is like a ridiculous business. Like, 
I don't even know how much money is is involved in that, but it's a shit ton, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And then also, I just think it's insane that you could actually look at <laughs> look at it at work. Like that's insane. So I feel like the, <laughs> Can you imagine the after pure that ridiculousness story came out <laughs> of that story. Somebody just like blatantly looking at porn at work because they can. God damn, Charlie, get over here and look at this. <laughs> Something probably something probably had to happen in order for them to be like, you know what, uh, we we don't have any ruling on this. We have to make a ruling on this because fucking uh, Stanley over there, fucking rubbing one out in the corner, looking at whatever he was back in 1998. I don't even know what's going on. It appears back then, according but. to the search history that between the hours of 8 a.m. and 9 a.m., Mr. Hudson, you were looking at clamcam.com for at least 30 minutes. What is scat lovers? <laughs> well, now see, the law says you can look, you just can't touch. <laughs> didn't yeah. say anything about uh you know well, they didn't have touch screens back then so i guess it all worked out yeah, but between the hours of eight o'clock and 804 sir <laughs> all right the game is tied up with man crush picking up a point in the news round and taking control of the board man crush what category are we gonna go with next let's go music fuck it it's uh music round uh february 24th 1998 Here's a debut album that was entirely self-produced. The album went on to have three separate singles. I don't know what other type of singles you would have, uh, but including I Am Free and the most popular Meet Virginia. I don't know why they came out in that order, (laughs) but they did. I Am Free, Meet Virginia. It's not a sentence. It's actually three songs. Uh, Meet Virginia actually peaked at number 20 on the Billboard Hot 100. The album also went on to be certified platinum by the year 2000. Uh, so it was not a bad investment considering the band Train spent around $20,000 of their own money on their own self-titled album. Pretty good. Not Train's biggest album, but it is their debut, and it definitely laid the groundwork for their 2001 follow-up, Drops of Jupiter, which is actually the band's most popular album. Uh, you know, like, not doing the late 90s too often – I don't really get an impression for the sales figures, although it's it's really starting to show itself in 98 with, you know, file sharing becoming extremely popular at this point, because I honestly believe that an album like this one would have garnered like two or three million sales if it was like four or five years older. You know, having it covered a lot of the 80s for the last like two years in the show, I would say that there are some really dumb fucking albums that went like certified three to four times platinum that don't even hold a candle to this album. So I would uh, venture to say in 1998, a lot of people were downloading instead of buying. And then I'm sure it was a slippery slope there afterwards. But uh, my second album kind of puts a wrench into my argument here, but uh, February 22nd, 1998, uh, here's the seventh album from musician. And it's, it's kind of, it's a new venture from what we're usually accustomed to from her. This time around, she would focus the album around dance and electronica music. And I'm sure you've heard remixes of these songs. I'm sure they're playing them at raves while kids were running around with pacifiers in their mouths rolling on E. The album would go on to be nominated for six Grammy Awards and would take home four. Best pop album, best recording package. I don't know what that is. Best dance recording and best short form music video. She just barely lost out an album of the year. This was also the first time this musician won a Grammy ever, even though she'd been hugely successful for the past 15 plus years at this point. Uh, The album peaked at number two on the Billboard 200, but it would be almost number one in every other country. 
The album would also have actually the album. It was the largest first week of sales ever for an album by a female artist. And when it was all said and done, the album sold over 16 million copies worldwide and housed five singles. This is Madonna's Ray of Light. So this one did have some sales uh, compared to the other one. But even so, I think in the U.S. it was it had like four to five million in sales. Most of that was like worldwide. Obviously, she's a big hit everywhere. So those numbers might have spiked if this album came out in the 80s, or early 90s. But there it is. Uh, Madonna, Ray of Light and Train, Train. All right, Bo B. Craft. Let's hear what you got for the music round. Boy, am I about to show you up, man crush. Oh, Gee whiz. Uh, let's see. <laughs> February 23rd, 1987. I'm talking about the eponymous debut studio album by Jody Watley. That's right. She had already found success as part of uh, Shalimar, but uh, the impact of this album made her a cultural style icon, which is exactly what you want as a musical artist. Success culminated in her winning a Grammy Award for Best New Artist in 1988 against fellow artists Breakfast Club, Cutting Crew, Terrence Trent Yarby, and Swing Out Sister. Two of those, about the only prominent out of the bunch. Uh, the album produced three top ten singles on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, Some Kind of Lover, Looking for a New Love, and Don't You Want Me. Uh, it's actually sold more than two million copies in the U.S. and four million copies worldwide. Uh, the debut album from Jody Watley. She's no Nikki Free. I suppose it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it could be worse. I mean, that, that performed fairly well for all intents and purposes, I guess, but definitely in comparison to the uh, the picks that you had, nowhere near as relevant. Uh, so let's keep on going down that path. Hold on. Every time you hear Shalimar, do you think of the Chappelle show? Because I do. I always think of Three Dog Night. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's close to Shambhala or whatever. Yeah, I agree. Right. Shalimar. Sh- it's a stretch, Bo, but yeah, I dig you, man. Close enough. Uh, so pick number two came out the same day, actually. It's called The World Won't Listen, a compilation album by the Smiths. Uh, and being that was a uh, compilation album, didn't fare too bad. Reached number two on the UK albums chart, staying on the chart for 15 weeks. Uh, the title reflects Morrissey's frustration, imagine that, uh, with the fact that mainstream radio and record buyers still weren't paying attention to the band. As the album included many non-album cuts and single version, it remains a fan favorite. Uh, music press was critical, but uh, <laughs> got even worse because most critics labeled the album inessential. But again, oh, it is a, wow. it is a uh, compilation album. Oh, man. That's worse than saying your album sucks. It's well, inessential. You know, that's it's a just, nice way of saying it's just pure it's, garbage, that nobody <laughs> wants it, that the sales were a fluke. Now, you know how they have all those greatest hits albums where you can buy where it's like the essential Leonard Skinner? You know, the, <laughs> the inessential, the Smiths. Yeah, what a kick in the it's, dick. It's just how soon is now on 10 tracks just spread <laughs> out over an hour. And the radio edit. <laughs> it's all right, so I guess that means we got to head it over to Judge Drew Zachman for his ruling on this music Judge round. Drudy. I'm going to adjudicate all over this pick. All right, so, yeah, Train. I, I think that's uh, – I didn't know that that was um, – like, I remember the album. I didn't realize they you're, – so you're saying they just produced that all by themselves, huh? Yeah. That's pretty That's pretty badass, actually. Um, I, I like the guy. I, for, I forget his name. Pat Monahan. Train, Mr. Train. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Train, Pat Monahan. He's a he's he seems like a pretty cool dude. I've actually seen him on like ESPN a handful of times. He's a big San Francisco baseball fan. He loves the Giants, so it drops a Jupiter is obviously a huge album as well. 
And then you had Ray of Light. I remember, I, mean, I remember both of these albums. Um, uh, that album was just friggin' huge. Uh, and then over at Bo, you have Jody Watley. I like Jody Watley. I'm a Jody Watley fan. Um, what was it? Uh, I'm looking for some real love. Is that one of her singles? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Looking for a New Love. Oh, New Love. Okay. And then the Smiths. I think I actually used the Smiths a couple weeks ago for a pick. Is it yeah, is murder? Yeah, you I did. I think it was what I went with. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I have to go with Man Crush on this one. I think. I mean, uh, a, a debut album from Train, who went on to then, uh, you know, crush it with their next one. And then, I mean, any time you have like a Madonna album coming out, that's kind of freaking big compared to an album that was inessential. <laughs> by the Smiths, <laughs> the bar can only be higher from there. I don't even know. But like the thing with this album that made it so big is it's completely different from what she did in the past. You know, like she completely yeah. changed it up. She I think she went into the studio from what I read with Babyface again, who did her her previous album. And she ended up firing those guys and going a completely different direction, you know, while they were recording this. So that, that's a big deal. Even if you're not a Madonna fan, that's uh, yeah, that's big. If you're changing your sound and you still sell 16 million copies, you're doing something right. And win four Grammys out of that. It's kind of it's a little similar to you too because you know they had they kind of had their sound right from the eighties, uh, and even Octung Baby kind of continued that sound. And then was it ninety three that came out with um, Zuropa, which was it started getting a little bit different, but then Pop was you know definitely different, which came out that was probably what ninety seven I think that came out. So kind of a similar story there where they decided to go more dancey. As opposed to their kind of like their, their traditional sounds. So. When did their best song ever come out? Uh, Lemon, <laughs> Edge, Lemon. That was no. The uh, uh, the Edge did uh, Numb. Oh, it was Numb. <laughs> Who sang Lemon? Was that fucking Bono? That was that was that was Bono. Yeah, oh. yeah. Lemon. The song's great. Good good pick. So what's funny too with the Smiths, their previous album. If it wasn't their previous one, it was maybe like two before it. The, that Meat Is Murder album. Everything I read and researched about that, they were saying that album is like one of the albums you must listen to before you die. That was essential. It's funny they go from that to uh, the world won't listen. But hey, all right. So Man Crush wins this round by running a train on Madonna <laughs> again. Picks up a point as we head into the two point rounds. What category are we going with next? Uh, there's only two left, which will make this interesting. Let's go. Let's go hot products. Fuck it. All right. To begin this one, February 22nd, 1998, a controversial no fat ingredient is set to hit the market. Procter and Gamble spent over $500 million in 30 years of research to discover this miracle ingredient that will make snacks and other foods fat free. Not just fat-free, but also zero calories, zero grams of cholesterol. Now you can pick up fat-free Frito-Lay items like Wow Doritos, Wow Ruffles, and Wow Lay's potato chips or corn chips. How American is that? 1988, you could stuff your face and not feel any guilt after devouring an entire bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. It wasn't guilt that you were going to feel. <laughs> <laughs> it was your insides falling out of your asshole. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the invention of the hottest thing to hit the market since sliced bread. It's a Lestra. Lestra was a cooking oil designed to keep snacks tasty while eliminating fat and cutting calories by a third. That said, like like Bo just mentioned there, 
Alestra, they ignited a war of words between Procter and Gamble and the Center for Science in the Public Interest, which is a Washington, D.C. based advocacy group that branded Alestra unsafe. Well, the FDA, they mandated these companies to add a warning to all goods with Alestra in the ingredients. And that warning states this product contains Alestra. Alestra may cause abdominal cramping and loose stools. And then in parentheses says, Anal leakage. Uh, although <laughs> they did end up removing that warning in 2003, but in 1998, and this is what makes this a hot product, they still managed $400 million in sales based on Alestra products. Well, some folks just like the way it feels. Yeah, you know what? If you're still looking for some loose stool, you can find some in the uh, the Pringles Light. They still have Alestra in the ingredients. But uh, yeah, that's my first one there, Alestra. I'm glad that came up. It's got a very illustrious track record. Yeah. I was a big fan of yeah. those chips. I never got the uh, the loose stools. I just thought they tasted yeah. great. From Yeah. From what I read today, basically, it's it didn't happen to everybody. But I think since you can eat an entire bag without feeling any guilt, we're Americans, so we just ate the entire, entire bag, bag of those, those wow, Cool Ranch Doritos or whatever the fuck it had to be. And it would upset your stomach. Well, if you ate a, an entire bag of regular Doritos, exactly. the same thing would probably happen. So, But basically what happened with these, not only did you remove the unwanted fats from the food, but it negated the body's ability to absorb all the essential yep. vitamins. So, And that's now why we also have stool hardeners in addition to softeners. <laughs> if you eat a lot of Alestra-based <laughs> products, you buy a stool hardener. I like to take one of each and let them fight it out. Really, you know? <laughs> see what happens. You can just curl up in the fetal position and cry until your your bowels are voided or just rock hard. <laughs> Sounds like a great Wednesday night to me. Well, FDA it, they've kept Alestra as a legal food additive to this day. Uh, they leave the health implications in the hands of the individual customers. So if you find it, go for it. Mark says it's okay. Yeah. All right. What do you got for your second pick? All right, again, February 22nd, 1998. And going into 90, 1998, like a majority of the world was still utilizing modems to get on the internet. Uh, we had DSL, we had ISDN. They were a more common option at this point in 98. But everyone at this point was dying for faster internet. The web was taking off like no other. Like I said before, porn is running rampant. And a lot <laughs> of us were still stuck on dial-up. Uh, so in 1997, the broadband internet started to become a thing. And it seemed to be picking up. It's almost like today how people talk about like 5G. All we heard about back then was broadband or cable internet, but you didn't really have it. It was coming, but not many people had it. So 106,000 people in 1997 had cable internet, just to give you a number. But the companies, they were just starting to expand their services. And uh, by comparison, in 97, there was 106,000. In 2019, there were well over 100 million people in the United States alone that had broadband cable. All right. So lo and behold, February 22nd, 1998, I found an ad for Cox at Home Broadband. <laughs> Cox at Home. <laughs> Finally. Do they deliver? <laughs> uh, starting at twenty nine ninety five. Uh, the thing was, you also had to pay for the internet modem in most cases, which was another couple hundred bucks. So to get people like into this, to show them how fast it was, 
And I remember them doing this. They were actually setting up events in public places where you can go to the location and you can test drive the internet. And in this ad that I found, I'll show it to you guys if you want. They set it up at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church where they had cocks at home at the Episcopal Church in order to give people a try. Now you can get cocks at church. Do you think they looked up porn? Like if you went in there to try it out, you're like, yeah, fuck it. Let's see what's. Well, if they let the clergy touch those computers for sure. (laughs) What happens when we put cocks in the rectory? (laughs) I hate when there's cocks in my rectory. (laughs) (laughs) The people from Cox at home showed up and they were like, what the fuck is this? It's not what we ordered. Uh, Anyhow, but uh, this is when they kicked off their service for their uh, Cox at home broadband. And in 2019, by comparison, Cox had well over 5 million broadband subscribers. So that's not too bad. Wow. It's not like the biggest company in the United States, but it's uh, but it's Cox top at home. 10. Well, I mean, at the time, Cox was huge. <laughs> but they were all, all, you left your Cox away from home at the time. You had to pay to get them inside your house. <laughs> <laughs> They're not that big anymore, though. I think they've had a little bit of shrinkage over the years. I'm sure they did. I mean, that's what happens when you get older. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I had. We had Alestra and uh, Loose Stool and Cox at home. Cox and Poop. Yeah, yeah. both ends covered. Good job. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Over to you, Bo Craft. All right. Uh, let's see. Hot products. February 1987. Let's go with February 25th. Uh, the home release of Big Trouble in Little China, which was not contrary to popular belief, a Ron Jeremy film. I'm talking, of course, about the Kurt Russell vehicle directed by John Carpenter. The home video release came after the film's moderately successful run at the box office throughout the latter half of 1986, uh, during which it grossed over $11 million. Uh, here's the cultural significance of the film, though. It, it it brought out a video game, spawned a video game, comic book series, final figure series, board game, and a card game. Uh, now it's pretty much kind of a, a cult classic. So you go, the Big Trouble in Little China VHS release. I'm sure they had that probably on Betamax, too. I would guess. Yeah, in 87. You know, actually, when you say this, and I know like people poo-poo it because it's a VHS release, but in this case, the aftermarket release is bigger than the silver screen release. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Because it died in the box office. Horrible death where people were like, oh, this is just not good. And as soon as it hit VHS, it went off like hotcakes. There's so many movies like that. You're not going to spend eight bucks to go see it in the theater. But you'll spend a dollar ninety-five to rent it, you know. I never understood why this movie didn't do well in the theater, though. It's I think it was it's I think it was movie. a marketing thing. It looked too cartoony, maybe. I don't know. But once people watched it and they realized how quality of a film it really was, I don't know. So many uh, VHSs, VHS movies that uh, hit that aftermarket like that. Good pick. All right, what do you got for your second pick? Go a little out of the box here. Uh, let's see. Introduced into production in 1987. <laughs> mostly known as the Coupe de Poon. Talking about the front-wheel drive two-door Chevy Beretta. Oh. <laughs> designed in the same design studio as the Camaro and the Corvette. So you knew that this thing like was set to be just an absolute unit from the get-go. They're like, we're on to something here with this with this Beretta. Uh, this muscle car enjoyed a nine-year run before it was discontinued in 1996. No word on if uh, Robert Blake had anything to do with that or not, but the Chevy Beretta introduced into production. Did you call the Beretta a muscle car? Yes, I did, because it was. 
All right, down to Judge Drew Zachman for the ruling for our first two-point round. All right, so Big Trouble Little China, that movie's fantastic. It's it's wonderful. Uh, Chevy Beretta, also wonderful. Total panty dropper. If you have one of those, <laughs> money, straight up money. It was almost as good as a Pontiac Fiero. It's almost as good as that truck from Fall Guy. Not Drew. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Nothing is that good as that truck. Damn it. Um, and then uh, Man Crush. So you have uh, you you get you basically your your hot product was a product that makes you poop your pants. It was a different kind of hot, to be fair. Mark said it didn't, so that's uh, that's legit. It never made me poop my pants, and I don't know anybody that it did. So there's a thing. So they they worked on it. Was a Man Crush? You said what, was it for thirty, 30 years? years. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> they spent thirty years worth of research and five hundred million dollars back then. Yeah. Which is probably close to what? Probably close to a billion now, right? Oh, it's got to be way because you got to think that's over thirty years they spent five hundred million. Oh, that's, so that's true. Yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. that's so, billions of dollars they spent on that. Good point. So they spent billions of dollars and thirty years worth of research, or you could just say, "Hey, hey, America, don't eat the whole bag." Like that's all you got to do. <laughs> it's America, man. Like, and how how many how many how many years of research does it take to put a thing in there that says just don't eat the whole thing? Yeah, but Problem once solved. you pop. You can't stop. He's right. I will say Doritos. Uh, I cannot have Doritos in the house because that does become a problem with me. But here's the thing, too. Like, I feel like, uh, like, wouldn't I feel like salt content? There's got to be like loads of sodium in in all those chips. Like, I feel like that's probably going to be doing more harm than some of the fat content. Anyway, they made what four hundred million dollars worth of sales, and that was it. You saying that was it, the first year alone? That was, yeah, that was just in '98. And most of them, they started shipping in February. But the other companies, because they also had Olean was the other, it, it basically was the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they slapped that name on it and those came out over the summer. So you're talking like not even a full year and they made that much money. That's crazy. Uh, America. Um, I know, right? And then uh, broadband internet, get your porn no, no, faster. No, Cox at home. Oh, Cox at home. Sorry. Get your porn <laughs> faster. See how the two, the two picks kind of coincide together? Yeah. I don't know. I'm. Uh, this is a tricky one here. You could probably download Big Trouble in Little China if you have Cox at home. But then you're not going to be able to watch it because you're going to be running back and forth to the John after uh, eating your chips with Alestra. <laughs> so you have to keep pausing the These movie. chips are great, but we're going to have to watch this movie some other time. <laughs> <laughs> Got some slippage. <laughs> right. If you, have, if you have a date, right, you bring her back to your place or you have Cox at home, then you throw on Big Trouble Little China. <laughs> Root cause analysis here. How did you even get her back to your house? Chevy Beretta. Mm. I think that's it's I the think perfect that's, storm, how, gentlemen. I think how so. would you lube your anal? <laughs> Olestra. <laughs> oh, God. Boom. This uh, is going to sound pick. odd, but can you just hand me that empty bag, please? <laughs> I feel I feel like I have to go with uh, I have to go with Bo here because I feel like oh. I really I really do like Big Trouble Little China. Man, I you thought that would be my saving grace. I love that movie. It is, in fact, a classic. Uh, the Chevy Beretta panty dropper. That's all I'm going to say. I, I, I also I feel like the 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 damage Alestra did. I feel like that actually. I feel like, I feel like that's that's <laughs> minus it, you points know there. After reading it, because going into this, I thought that it was a really bad thing, but after doing the research on it, it really wasn't. It was more hearsay than anything else, and I think that's what killed the whole Alestra movement because I'm sure. With all the substitute like sugars and shit we eat now, they're just as bad. And oh, they are, are absolutely. Yeah, all the yeah. all the fake sugars are terrible. 
Yeah. I, I just can't wrap my head around the fact that it's been 30 years, 30 fucking years, and bil- <laughs> billions of dollars researching when they could just say, just don't eat the whole fucking thing. I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, it's not even relevant to this entire conversation, but you guys mentioned the truck from Fall Guy. Didn't know what it was. Had to look it up, and now I'm just fucking enamored with this truck. Like, right? I have to have this truck. <laughs> right? All right. Now, Google image Heather Thomas, Fall Guy. Well, also. And tell good. me which you would rather. Okay. Here we go. Survey says. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have both? I think there's I mean, a poster there, there's with a her. Photo, by yeah, the there's truck. a poster of her standing in front of the truck. Drew, was it you that did not bring that up? Wow. Yeah. Oh man, I forgot who made that pick. Guys, I think I'm hitting puberty all over again. Well, I was like five years old at the time. I, I remember <laughs> the truck. I had the truck when I was a kid. I had like a little Hot Wheels, and I think I had a bigger one. This is wild. Hey, remember to uh, when you guys are listening to this me- this episode, you can judge the episode. Send us your judgments. Over to our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash dueling decades. Actually, somebody that sent that in was shocked. I think it was DJ Hiddle was shocked that you didn't bring up Heather Thomas. He I'm was, sorry. Uh, he was stunned by that. He's so more sorry. my age, so that's uh, that's probably why. I was five. She's bringing some stuff up for me right now. My God. <laughs> Bo's ready to go. It's between her and the truck. Bo will be using some cocks at home. <laughs> looking at looking at Heather. <laughs> Different kind of DSO we got going on over here, boys. <laughs> I just got a message from Bo that says, I'm soaked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Bo B Craft jumps out to a lead. Will man crush taste defeat two weeks in a row? We'll find out when we head over to the movies round. Bo Craft, do you want to go first, or do you want to defer? I think I need a towel first and foremost, but uh, I, I think I'm going to be selfish here. I think I'm going to go first. All right. All right, so movies. February 1987. Uh, we're going to start off with February 27th. Developed by Wes Craven and Bruce Wagner, the third installment in this series. I'm talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors which features uh, Patricia Arquette and, of course, Bobby England as Freddy Krueger. Film's budget, $5 million, made a profit of $44.8 million, which is unreal. Uh, film was met with mostly positive reception, nominated for several not-Oscar awards, uh, but uh, they're Saturn awards, uh, including Best Horror Film, Best Makeup, which I feel like is kind of a no-brainer, and uh, Robert England for Best Supporting Actor. It was actually praised mostly for its production values. A lot of people cited the uh, memorable dream sequences as high points or memorable points of the movie. So not bad. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, February 27, 1987. Can you mention docking at all? Docking? Yes. Uh, I can. (laughs) And this really isn't a visual element, so... Basically, when two men are really interested in one another. (laughs) No, docking! (laughs) Into the fire. All right. What do you got for your second pick, Bo? Second pick, another John Hughes joint making its way into the culture the same day on February 27th, and that is Some Kind of Wonderful, the romantic teen comedy starring Leah Thompson, Dreamboat Eric Stoltz, and Mary Stuart Masterson. Uh, Here's the synopsis, which is enough to make any white trash person go to the movie theater. In their Beretta. Blue Collar Mechanic. You'll never hear that in a movie synopsis moving forward. 
and probably after this. Uh, blue-collar mechanic Keith Nelson and his tomboyish friend Watts, played by Mary Stuart Masterson, uh, who has been subjected to rumors that she is a lesbian, aspire to improve their social standing. So, of course, in classic 80s rom-com fashion with Keith, Asks out the most popular and attractive girl in school, Amanda Jones, played by Leah Thompson. Watts realizes her feelings for him are much deeper. And there ensues all the comical and romantic madness of some kind of wonderful. Uh, This movie received mixed reviews. Majority were largely favorable. Um, It's kind of hard to knock a John Hughes film, uh, but it scored $18.5 million at the box office. No information what the budget was. I would imagine it was probably fairly minimal. Um, So I'm guessing this probably hauled in a pretty... Decent chunk of money. All right. Man Crush. What do you got for movies, man? All right. February 27th, 1998. We get the controversial documentary that stirred up quite the commotion towards the end of the 90s. And it's really still something that people debate about to this day. Uh, Netflix even had their own documentary style movie about this that debuted a few years back. The movie was set to debut at the Sundance Film Festival. But Courtney Love and her team of lawyers had the movie shunned from the festival. That said, the debut ended up taking place at the Roxy in Hollywood on the evening of February 27th, 1998. Uh, Apparently, she tried to get the viewing to be stopped at the Roxy as well, but the Roxy told her to shove it. Bill Banning, the owner of the Roxy, said, Because of all the controversy surrounding the film, the film has become bigger than life. On its own. It's not just about Kurt and Courtney anymore. It's about free speech. In spite of that, it's covered by the First Amendment. Love's attorneys, on the other hand, were saying that the movie is nothing but false and defamatory speculation about Love's involvement in Kurt Cobain's 1994 death. This is a documentary, of course, if you haven't figured it out. Kurt and Courtney. And if you've never seen it, it makes you think. And as the newer documentary on Netflix does the same thing, regardless, it's it's actually it's funny, though, that she tried to stop this movie, being that she had just finished being the free speech advocate for her movie, The People versus Larry Flint, that just uh, was released in uh, 97. So the movie's director, Nick Broomfield, he spliced in footage of uh, Courtney Love being honored by the ACLU for her progressive position on free speech. <laughs> Fucking hypocrite. You guys think she was involved in that? Yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot there that says she could have been, but <clears throat> I don't know, man. I it's it's tough to say. It really is. You got to watch both. You if you watch, did you watch the one on Netflix? I have not yet. Yeah, watch the one on Netflix. It's fucking eerie. But you watch that one and you watch the documentary. There's some sketchy shit she did. I won't even go into it. No spoilers here, but go watch the two and make up your own mind. But I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like so. So Kurt actually uh, did a lot of like helped her out quite a bit. I think he helped her like find. I think he helped him whole uh, find a was like a producer or uh, somebody to help them with their their one album. So I felt like he had like a big hand in that, from what I recall. So part of me is like, why would she? You know do something to get rid of someone who is, you know, definitely helping her out other than, I mean, obviously he like overshadows her just cause he's a freaking legend, but I don't know. It's, it's crazy. There's definitely stuff there that can sway you either way. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in the documentary. You got to watch. I won't even touch on it here, but 
Check that out. But the reason I put that one in there is for the First Amendment. I love the fact that Bill Banning said, fuck you. We're playing the movie. First Amendment, free speech. The movie's getting played. So remember that. Anyhow, uh, second one, also February 27th, 1998. Here's a great movie. It doesn't get talked about a lot. Uh, matter of fact, we put up a sci-fi set of movies, say, on our Facebook page for people to choose one of the six. And we put the movie on there. And the very first person to comment said, Dark City, great movie. Three explanation points. Three fucking explanation points. That means it's really good. Uh, so thanks to Jeremy All for dropping that comment. He probably doesn't even listen to the show, but there you go, man. Uh, the movie is indeed Dark City. And if you've never seen it, this is no shit. The Matrix before The Matrix came out. I watched it again last night and it still holds up. It's a fantastic movie. Check it out. Uh, the movie won, again, like Bo said, it won the Saturn Award, which is the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror, for those who didn't know, for uh, Best Science Fiction Film of 1998. And in 2009, they won another Saturn Award for the Best DVD Special Edition release in science fiction. Uh, you got some great performances in this one by Rufus Sewell, Kiefer Sutherland, Jennifer Conley, and William Hurt. Uh, the movie went on to make $27 million at the box office, around $43 million in 2020, and it was directed by Alex Proyas. This is the same dude that did The Crow, and it really has that same gritty feel to it. If you've never seen it, if that'll sell you on it, go check that out. And if you're going to watch this, I would say pick up the director's cut. It's definitely worth the extra 15 minutes of footage. And again, if you like The Matrix, this is The Matrix with a darker twist to it. But uh, that's what I got. Kurt and Courtney in Dark City. All right. Well, I guess that only leaves one thing, and that's to go down to Judge Drew Zachman for the final ruling on this game. Oh, boy. Whew. <clears throat> these are these are definitely uh, – this is a tough one here. This is a, a photo finish. So, Bo, so you had Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Did you say the budget was $5 million and it five made $44? 5 million and it made forty, almost 45 yeah. Yeah, that's pretty friggin' awesome. It's almost $40 million. I mean, any of those movies are fantastic. Um, but then you had some kind of wonderful with John, or by John Hughes. You had Leah Thompson, Eric Stoltz in there. And that had a box office of, what, $18 million, you said? Uh, yes. Somewhere around there. 18 okay. and a half. And then Man Crush. You had the Kurt and Courtney documentary. And then Dark City. Whew. Oh, boy. Um, so, yeah. I mean, and the whole Kurt and Courtney thing, that's still up for debate. I mean, I know you called that out. Man Crush, as far as they have another one on Netflix, which I definitely need to check out. Um, but the fact that it's still kind of like open-ended, and this is the first, I guess, documentary to properly draw, you know, some some light on it. That's a big thing. Uh, Dark City. Rufus Sewell, right? He's in yeah. that, right? He's the main character. Dude, I, f I fucking love Rufus Sewell. He's, he's John Murdoch in the movie. I have seen that then. Yeah, Rufus Sewell is fucking fantastic. I love Rufus. And a Nightmare on Elm Street 3, though, that is a good flick. But I feel like of all the John Hughes movies, this one's not one of my favorites. <laughs> a lot of people say that. I love John Hughes. I pretty much love, like, every John Hughes movie. Curly Sue, that's the other yeah. one. <laughs> Just kind of forget those two. Sweep them under the carpet. Oh, dear. Don't forget the First Amendment. <laughs> I, I, will, I will never forget. Hashtag never forget. Um, yeah, I think it's funny, though, that Courtney tried to stop it, you know, 
I, I like wouldn't that just like I feel like that would just like draw even more attention to it. Uh, but no one ever said she was smart, so I feel like I got to go man crush here. I'm sorry, Bo. Well, shit happens. So sorry. It's the First Amendment. Hey, look, I, I got the Fall Guy truck out of this, so I'm not going to consider this a complete loss. <laughs> and a used Beretta. If you had, if you had any other John Hughes movie, I feel like that one's going to you. But that's some kind of wonderful. I think. Uh, I feel like that kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Bo stores the truck away in the spank bank, not Heather Thomas. Hey, uh, it's a. It could go either way at this point. Let's be honest. <laughs> toss up for the toss off. It's a great truck. Yeah, don't forget Dark City. Dark City, it's one of those movies you could still watch in 2020, and it's still solid because it's it's kind of a retro piece. I, I don't know what year it's supposed to be because it's just night through the whole movie. So it's uh, it's you could watch it whenever. And like with a lot of sci-fi movies, they, they get old. This one didn't. When I watched it last night, I still loved it. Awesome. Well, Man Crush redeems himself, picks up a victory on this one. So Drew Zachman. Thanks a lot for judging this one. Tell everybody what's going on on the One Headlight 90s podcast. We talk about the 90s. <laughs> That's uh... In Alestra. We're having a full Yeah, and, and Alestra. Um, and, Chevy, and Chevy Berettas. Cox at home. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we, we just, like a little bit ago, we wrapped up One Hit Wonders. We're actually getting into now some specific bands so we're going to be doing we're going to like recapping some bands like Pearl Jam Offspring they're going to be the first two ones that we talk about uh, and eventually we'll get into I think U2 and Metallica so just kind of recapping some of the bands we'll be creating kind of like our favorite top 15 playlists of those bands and we'll be putting them out on Spotify for people to listen to and enjoy uh, and then after that I think we're going to be digging into some uh, a little bit more Beavis and Butthead and then Mighty Ducks so that's what we got coming up over there all right, well, Man Crush wins this one. So head on over to DuelingDecades.com where you can subscribe to all of our episodes on CastBox. You can subscribe to them on iTunes. And after you've subscribed, listen to the show, of course, and then drop us a review. We'd really appreciate that. And while you're on the interwebs, you can head on over to Facebook.com forward slash DuelingDecades where you can join our private group and post some of your own retro memories as well. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.